Okay, go ahead. Welcome to another episode of Vanilla Weiss and the Nostalgic Nerds. Speaking of nostalgic, we have a nostalgia icon for all of us who grew up in the 90s, early 2000s. We've got a very special guest, Henry W. Laster. Those of you who grew up in the early 90s, like myself, may remember him as the awful, awful kid from Salute Your Shorts, as well as Flankman, the guy who glued his hand to his head and overdosed on popsicles. And he was also Henry in The Adventures of Pete and Pete. So without further ado, hi, Henry. Hi there, thanks for having me aboard. And we've got two other very special returning guests from previous episodes. We've got 90s Nickelodeon professional storyboard artist Brett Wilson with us. Hey, Brett. Hi, Dan. How are you today? Oh, can't complain. Making the best of this coronavirus. Yeah, same here. Yeah, lots of rest. Yep, me too. Much needed staycation. Yeah. <laughs> And we also got with us South Florida's very own Mick Foley's official booking agent, Lindsay Denae White. Hi, guys. I'm glad to have you on here. You guys can hear me okay. Yep. This is so crazy how we're all doing this with the phones. <laughs> I've never seen yeah. this before, but it's pretty Our cool. <laughs> yeah, we have... The great Danny Cooksey to thank for that. He's the one who discovered the super easy app we're using, and he recommended this good microphone. For those who are wondering who Danny Cooksey is, he was Budnick on Salute Your Shorts, as well as the really cute redhead kid on Different Strokes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Henry, um, how does it feel to have partaken and have been a part of what's considered by many to be one of the greatest Nickelodeon shows of all time? It definitely makes me so excited to be a part of so many childhood and a favorite of theirs because it actually made me live my childhood by growing up on that show. And I get so many letters thanking me of their wonderful memory. Because you had probably what was arguably the most iconic scene in probably the whole entire series, not including Danny's epic line in the theme song. Actually, I don't know if I'm the most iconic, but um, I've had people to come up to me and want my autograph just out of the blue. They would think like at a grocery store or even at a blood bank where I volunteer at it sometimes. But I would think that the awful, awful scene was at least one of the top three most iconic scenes in the show. I mean, everybody who remembers the show remembers that scene and that term. Yes, they do, um, because um, I get all the time people ask me, aren't you the awful, awful kid? And I say, yes, I am. You also overdosed on popsicles. You got like a sugar hangover. Oh, yeah, I sure did. I had to eat over 200 of them. <laughs> yeah, or as they called them at Camp Onawana, ice lollies. 
Yep, I swallowed you. The, I had to eat the red one. That's why my mouth was so red <laughs> from so many ice wallows. And you also glued your hand to your head in another episode? Yep, that would be Unwanted Incorporated. No, oh. Counselor Bunnett, excuse me. Yeah, Incorporated was the one with the ice lollies. Yeah, but but Counselor Bunnett is where I accidentally typically my hand to my forehead. Ow, that sounds super painful. Actually, that was pretty much Adlib because I was hanging around with crazy glue at the time at the taping. And so I had actually done a face palm, and I got, and that's how it happened. And they decided to keep it in there at the very last of the show. Oh, nice. So, see, some of the best scenes in TV and movies happen by accident. I've heard of that happening where they'll have, um, or really, they'll have something that wasn't in the script that it was a by accident, like deleted scene, but it works so well that they decide to keep it. Yeah, it's also known as ad living. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like in the first screen movie, there was a scene like that. Remember, at in the first screen movie towards the end when when Billy, like, throws the phone and it hits Stu in the face and he's like, hit me with the phone, you dick! Uh, wow, that was, like, improv. Yeah, well, apparently that was a mistake, um, because apparently there was so much slippery paint on the floor that he really did accidentally hit him with the phone and that really was his response. That wasn't part of the script. How but, did you find that out? Oh, uh, I read on the trivia when about that movie, but Wes Craven thought it fit in so well that he kept it. Oh, awesome. Well, that's what he... Yeah, Henry. That, that's what Henry did? Mm -hmm. Okay, wow. So, Henry... Happy accident. <laughs> yeah, I know. I need you on my comedy set more often. I need some accidental, accidental ad-lib material. <laughs> yeah, that hurt too much. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I wish some of the other stuff that went on behind the scenes could got have put in there, but we did not want to take that risk. <laughs> so, Henry, um, growing up, were there any um, Nickelodeon shows that you were a big fan of and used to watch a lot? Well, yes, and that's an excellent question. I've never been at that one before. <laughs> the ones that I, the ones that I really liked. Would be Welcome Freshman. You can't do that on television. That was and Clarissa brings it all. But yeah, you can't do that on television. Was epic. I mean, for the mere fact that that show really lived up to its name. I I still, even though it was the eighties, I still can't believe they were able to get away with all the shit they did on that show. <laughs> that oh, oh god, yeah. Especially with so much water and slime. Well, not even that, but it was literally probably like the darkest, most un-PC kids comedy ever made. I mean, by today's standards, that's, it shows like in no way, shape, or form a kids show. <laughs> About 90% of the skits involve child abuse of some sort. <laughs> yeah, especially the firing squad. 
Oh, yeah, that was the dark one. And the one about the nasty restaurant where the chef's name was Barth and every every customer kept getting food poisoning. That was a dark one. Oh, God, yes. I remember that very well. <laughs> but, yeah, it was funny. When I was, like, six years old and... I didn't know what the guy's name Barth meant, and my brother told me to tell my mom her cooking tastes like Barth, not knowing what it meant. And so I told her that, relating it to the chef on You Can't Do That on Television. And <laughs> what did she have to say to that? She actually yelled at my brother because she knew he was the one who told me to tell her that. <laughs> So this is a show that was in the 80s? Uh, yeah, it was throughout the 80s. It's a show that started the green slime. Oh, wow. So I don't really know because I grew up in the 90s, but all during the 80s, Nickelodeon had cartoons during that time? I'm, well, cartoons, but also live action shows. What was, yeah. like, what was like the very first? Pinwheel, I think, wasn't it? Pretty much. I mean, that was the most popular one of the bunch. And then they had some syndicated cartoons like Count Ducula, My the Meeting, Lost Cities of Gold. Um, you Can't Do That on Television was pretty much their big live-action property. Yeah. And when when they hit, like, the early 90s, like around 1991, when Salute Shorts was coming around, um, they really got into more original content with animation, starting with Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, and Ren and Stimpy, out of those three mentioned cartoons, I think has aged the best, too. Like, um, Rugrats, I always acknowledge it as being a great kid show, but it doesn't have the same enjoyment factor as an adult, like um, Ren and Stimpy or Salute Your Shorts, or Are You Afraid of the Dark still do. Right, yeah, and sometimes when a show goes on too long after a certain amount of seasons, you can start to feel it either getting a little bit stale with its material or changing things up too much that the original fans don't relate to it too much. And I know from a, a personal perspective, uh, I jumped the shark when uh, Dill and Kimmy came around because then it just seemed to shake up, you know, the dynamic of the babies that I've grown to love over the first couple of years of the show. Yeah, exactly. And also with Rugrats minus a few inappropriate innuendos here and there, um, it didn't tackle as many heavy adult themes like some of the others did. Like, hey, Arnold tackled some pretty heavy themes. Right. Yeah, I definitely feel it was geared for a younger audience, but also appealing to parents who might have children, too. Like, I know one of the most memorable things to quote Rugrats is Stu making chocolate pudding at four in the morning. Angelica oh, yeah. has a broken leg. I am surprised, though, in one episode they actually got away with um, making a reference to the infamous rape scene from Deliverance, where um, they were in, like, the pen, and Angelica met her bigger cousin, I think Emmett was the guy's name, and he says, like, hey, cousin, wanna wrestle? Bet I can make uh, you squeal like a piggy. Oh, my yeah. God. I remember that because I used to quote that episode a lot. Not that specific quote, but like other things that like Angelica would say. And it just flew over my head back then. I had no idea. Yeah, as soon as I heard that line from Deliverance, I was like, wait, that's what the Rugrats was referencing? (laughs) (laughs) There's also a sexual innuendo when they were watching the movie. 
And the grandfather said, oh, I've got my own movie to watch at the Ikudo. Yeah. I remember that. Like when he had his, um, there's there's an episode where he had a date uh, at night or like he was watching the kids and he made mention of that with like space alien ladies. And again, because our minds didn't pick up that as a kid, it's it's really eye-opening how you pick up on those things when you get older. And I know Rocco's modern life is notorious for kind of hiding those little Easter eggs in the episode as well. Oh yeah, and Rocco too, that was a show they would never nowadays allow on Nickelodeon because that was like Ren and Stimpy, another real like really gross out show. Right. Yeah. Ren and Stimpy had a lot of Yeah. Well Ren and Stimpy had a lot of special It had an effect on the older crowd for like the older kids, I think. Not so much the younger ones. I think I saw an episode of that a couple months ago, and it can actually appeal to adults as well. Definitely. Yeah. And we were talking about Danny Cooksey. He actually was in a few episodes of that. He was in, like, three episodes. He was Victor, the school bully. Yeah, I remember that. Man, Danny was everywhere in Nickelodeon. He was. Oh, my God. He was I mean, even in Are You Afraid of the Dark? He was yep. in that? Well, only yeah, one episode. Curse. Yeah. Oh, From my season God. Three. I'm like, you guys have such good memory. Yeah, yeah. it's what we live for. <laughs> yeah, Dan's pretty much the sleep shorts expert, and I'm pretty much the Are You Afraid of the Dark expert. So, oh yeah, good combination. Yes, I remember Are You Afraid of the Dark, and I. What was that show that I told you that I watched younger and you didn't think it was on Nickelodeon? Remember when the girl had that mask on? Yeah, that was, that was, yeah that was Goosebumps. Yeah. For oh, some, that's the tale of the haunted mask. Yes. Yeah, that, oh, my God. When, I think the girl's name was really Sarah. I don't remember. but it's, Carly Beth, Yeah, I there think. you go. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> I actually like the books. It's, it's, but I, that's, that scared me for so many years. Like, for oh. Halloween, anytime my mom said, do you want to wear a mask? I'm like, oh, my God, no. I thought it was yeah. Yes, it scared me for a good four years, but finally I got over it. But I actually rewatched that episode maybe like a year ago, and it was actually amazing. It was really good. So I asked Dan, I said, Was that on Nickelodeon? And he said, No. And I said, I'm pretty sure it was. So Goosebumps actually did air on Nickelodeon. Mm, no, no, it aired on Fox, I think. Yeah, it was predominantly on Fox. Um, they might have had a Halloween special where they bought the rights to air briefly, but yeah. uh, I don't know any specific records of it. And with Goosebumps, I love the books, but I wasn't that big a fan of the series. I thought as a show, Are You Afraid of the Dark was a lot scarier. It had a more mature edge to it, that's for sure. And um, I, I've dealt with a lot of people in both the Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark fan bases, and you can kind of get a different feel for each one. Like, Goosebumps tends to be more on the, the campy side with a lot of disjointed humor and weird, gross-out moments. And Art for the Dark is more like a, a serious, um, you know, type of scare that can be grounded in reality but also have a super natural element to it. So it's, it's kind of like younger versus older or what type of um, horror appeals to you as a viewer. 
Yeah, are you afraid of the dark was much more like the Twilight Zone for Nickelodeon? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it inspired DJ McHale. Uh, he mentioned that in several online uh, podcast interviews that that was one of his big influences growing up. Yeah, in fact, in fact, the intro line was, was actually pretty much the exact same in both shows and Twilight Zone. Before each story, he also said, like, submitted for your approval. Correct. Yeah, that was a direct nod to the show. Speaking of which, uh, Brett here actually does drawings of all those shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark, Salute Your Shorts, Pete and Pete. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I saw your drawings. They're amazing. Oh, thank you very much. I put a lot of uh, effort into making them detailed, yet also have uh, an approachable, like, cartoony style to them. Amazing. Um, Absolutely amazing. Thank uh, you. What, Dan, it. what is your favorite one? The one from Are You Afraid of the Dark, where the guy turns around his head and says, I am dead? Oh, yeah. She's talking <laughs> about Flynn, the phantom cabbie. Oh, yeah. I sort of died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There it. you go. Yeah, to me, that was one of the, the absolute scariest scenes. The look on his face and his delivery was perfect. It more. Yeah. And There's, that, like, just pure craziness, like, mania in his eyes. And I remember seeing that for the first time when it aired on Smith. I must have been, like, four or five at the time. Oh, and I just remembered, wow, that is traumatizing me, like, as my dad is sitting next to me in a dark living room. But at the <laughs> same time after it's over, I loved it. So, you know, sometimes scary things can be a good thing when it resonates with you long after it happens. Exactly. Sure. And, um... So many people seem to hate on that episode for some reason. They yeah. All because, yeah, all because the little kid was a bad actor, but still, <laughs> aside from him, I thought Aaron Tagar, Vink, and Brian Dooley, um, Flynn Morden made up yep. for that kid's acting. Definitely oh, can't, yeah, can't say they were bad actors. Oh, totally. Uh, if we're doing ratings, it'll like give it like a solid four out of five because you know the Midnight Society segment is very iconic, um, introducing Frank to the group for the first time, and um, I felt the Vink and Flynn moments were done pretty well. And aside from a few special effects and a few like odd musical cues, it really wasn't as bad as an episode as people make it out to be. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also easy to make fun of it or poke at it because. Uh, the following episode is one of the most iconic episodes of all time, you know, yep, laughing, and, laughing in, in the, the dark. dark. So sometimes it often gets pitched in Zebo's shadow as a result. And funny enough, um, a lot of the fan favorites I see on like the website are ones that I thought were very overrated, like the frozen ghost. Everyone sa says how scary that was. I didn't think that one was scary. Yeah, same here. It's it, it really comes down to how people process horror when they're a kid because for some things some instances things seem super scary like especially if they got a gruesome monster but other times it may not seem as scary but it's more like tragic circumstance like in the tale of the shiny red bicycle where you know a ghost died because he fell into a, a canal at, at the wrong time oh, yeah. um, but yeah looping back to frozen ghost I, I i share your sentiments with you too um, I could, I suppose some people like to find it scary that, you know, oh, this kid froze to death, how sad, or like this bank robber guy who 
worked on the farm where this kid was at, uh, you know, stole his jacket, which I think it's more tragic and relates to unfinished business than to like a tactical scare. Um, so I'm not sure if nostalgia is really coloring most people's memory of it or not. And the, certainly, certainly the iconic I'm cold quote. And, and that ghost literally was harmless too. He literally didn't even do anything. He just kept uttering that line. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a fun little quick story behind that. Uh, basically, you know, in the first couple of seasons, there wasn't much of a budget to work with. So uh, I remember DJ mentioning to me during production that you know you just need the the actor to say the line and you know keep it simple because you don't have enough money to pay him for extra dialogue. <laughs> exactly. And one thing as a kid I noticed is that. The shot in shiny red bicycle of Ricky outside the window looks a lot like the shot of the frozen ghost where he first sees him out the window. Yeah, it's it's very similar, and maybe that they were trying something out uh, in season two because they're both season two episodes, uh, where you know, hey, if something works in a previous episode and we get good ratings, why not try it again to see if it you know works well? And I would argue that shiny red bicycle. It has stood the test of time better than Frozen Ghost because the story still remains grounded in reality and, you know, the tragedy makes it kind of relatable but also worth revisiting because it can happen to someone in real life. It's not just, you know, a kid showing up saying, I, I'm cold repeatedly. Oh, yeah, and that one, it, to me, it wasn't as so much scary as it was just a very, like, sad but very engaging story. It was a really touching yeah. episode. Yeah, exactly, and that's probably why I, I would favor it at least um, more than the other one. You know, quality over quantity, or I guess cult following versus popular. <laughs> yeah, and a yeah. lot of people, another one they say a lot is The Dollmaker, which is another one I thought was all right, but definitely not as scary as so many of the others. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely a riffer too. Um Maybe, maybe it's because, you know, we're boys and we didn't grow up with dollhouses as kids. Although I did have a sister who was into dollhouses. Um, but I, I think the problem therein lies is the misleading title for a lot of viewers. You know, it not being as scary as other viewers remember it. And that's because it dealt with, like, odd expectations. Like, when I, when I was watching the episode first growing up, I thought, okay, so we're going to meet some, like, evil tinker has like a personality similar to Mr. Olsen and Pitball Wizard. That was a freaky one. That was that was a pretty intense one, I'll tell you that. That's much. where the but, kid um, ends up in the pinball machine oh, and yeah. he can't get out. Well yeah. yeah. Oh my god, the ending of that episode was the icing on the cake for me. Such a com incredibly dark ending. Um, because he still couldn't get out. Well, yeah, and yeah. he was literally going to die inside the pinball machine, most likely by one of the bad guys he had to face the first time. He was eventually going to die in it. And like you said when you, you were talking earlier, is like those episodes that stand the test of time are episodes that you can feel like it can happen to anybody. Like you can be that type of person that gets stuck in the pinball machine. So, yeah, 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 those the are the ones. that it could happen to you is yeah. really what makes it resonate all these years later, rather yes. than just being, you know, more removed with fantastical, kind of disjointed um, scares. Yeah, I think the scariest, best ones were to either the ones like that that had tragic endings or 
the ones that had completely unexpected twists at the end, like laughing in the dark when we found out at the very end who the real Zebo was. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice surprise. Actually, uh, I don't know if people were caught a glimpse because I know, like, the ghost of the real Zebo was only for like in a two-second shot in the episode. But Aaron Taker actually played him as well. Oh yeah, to the Carney. So that was a nice nod to the whole character arc of maybe Zebo lives on in the Carney, you know, luring people into the spook house to terrorize them. Exactly. As soon as they revealed that that was Zebo and that he was the one who who was after the kid um, and who haunted the place, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Hen- Henry, you said you were interested in the future when Brett's hand heals about having him draw like the awful awful scene or something. Yes, that would be great for me. Yeah, I'd be up for doing it. Um, as of right now, though, I'm, I'm undergoing a, a bit of a hiatus from social media and doing art just because I've overworked my drawing muscles in my left arm. Um, but when I return mid-April, it's de- definitely going to be on my project list. Uh, for, for most people who are aware and follow me on Instagram, at Brett Wilson Art, by, by the way, um, I my main goal for the past year is to essentially draw every episode of Are You Afraid of Dark, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, and Salute Your Shorts. And while I had to take a break from doing season three of Pete and Pete, um, you know, due to this hiatus and personal injury stuff, I have full intention to do every episode of Salute Your Shorts for like around late May, maybe early June to kind of line up with, you know, kids enjoying summer and going to summer camp and stuff like that so that, you know, I can connect with people that way. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, Henry, out of the your three most iconic scenes, which one do you think you'd most like to see turned into a animated drawing? And that would be either the I would like to see like either the awful awful thing or where I had to like eyeballing all over my mouth. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. His mouth was covered in cherry popsicle. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have no problem doing this for you guys. I mean, I I love drawing these shows because they bring so much joy, you know, through the memories that we all share. So um, once I'm able to be fully functional again, I'd love to help you out. In addition, to get those posters done. All right, I do need contact information. Yep. I think uh, Dan will be able to give it to you after the episode. Absolutely. Um, and Henry, it says that you were born in Miami, which is around where Lindsay and I live. Um, did you primarily grow up down here in South Florida? I only spent two years there after I was hatched, and I've never really been back as an adult. And plus, I will not remember anything about it because I only spent two years there from 1978 to 1980. Oh, wow. And where did you spend most of your childhood? Uh, I spent some of it in Los Angeles, California, and then also in Boys Town, Nebraska. How different. Yeah. Yeah, How different. Oh, my goodness. You went from Hollywood to cornfields. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much what Father Flanagan's boys' home was 
was like a cornfield when they first bought the place. Yeah. And um, I heard that um, unlike most of the shows that were filmed in Orlando, it was rare for a Nick show to be filmed in L.A., but Salute Your Shorts was filmed there, right? Yeah, it was filmed in Los Angeles at Franklin Park Camp, as well as Griffin Park Boys Camp. But yeah, and I heard that... Um, Steve Sladen, the creator, was the voice of Dr. Khan? Yes, that is correct. This is Dr. Khan. This is Dr. Khan. Everyone doing instructional swim. And especially you, Dan Alexander. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's great that he was able to be involved with the show in that minor role, because I feel like it was really the glue that held different segments together whenever change locations in the episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Henry, what are some of your other hobbies besides acting? Well, I'm, I've never been at that either, but I like reading, writing poetry, computers, and I do a lot of website design, card games, board games, horseback riding, and I love volunteering because I right now I've been volunteering at a brain injury clubhouse for people that's got brain injury, whether they be traumatic brain injury or acquired brain injury. And that place is called Brooks Clubhouse here in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, I love the horseback riding part. Yeah. I love yeah. horses and I've been riding my whole life. It's very, very nice. But are we running out of time? Um, yeah, I was just going to... Oh, okay. Oh. Okay, go ahead. Welcome to another episode of Vanilla Weiss and the Nostalgic Nerds. Speaking of nostalgic, we have a nostalgia icon for all of us who grew up in the 90s, early 2000s. We've got a very special guest, Henry W. Laster. Those of you who grew up in the early 90s, like myself, may remember him as the awful, awful kid from Salute Your Shorts, as well as Flankman, the guy who glued his hand to his head and overdosed on popsicles. And he was also Henry in The Adventures of Pete and Pete. So without further ado, hi, Henry. Hi there, thanks for having me aboard. And we've got two other very special returning guests from previous episodes. We've got 90s Nickelodeon professional storyboard artist Brett Wilson with us. Hey, Brett. Hi, Dan. How are you today? Oh, can't complain. Making the best of this coronavirus. Yeah, same here. Yeah, lots of rest. Yep, me too. Much needed staycation. Yeah. <laughs> And we also got with us South Florida's very own Mick Foley's official booking agent, Lindsay Denae White. Hi, guys. I'm glad to have you on here. You guys can hear me okay. Yep. This is so crazy how we're all doing this with the phones. <laughs> I've never seen yeah. this before, but it's pretty Our cool. <laughs> yeah, we have... The great Danny Cooksey to thank for that. He's the one who discovered the super easy app we're using, and he recommended this good microphone. For those who are wondering who Danny Cooksey is, 
He was Budnick on Salute Your Shorts, as well as the really cute redhead kid on Different Strokes. <laughs> so, Henry, um, how does it feel to have partaken and have been a part of what's considered by many to be one of the greatest Nickelodeon shows of all time? It definitely makes me so excited to be a part of so many childhood and a favorite of theirs because it actually made me live my childhood by growing up on that show. And I get so many letters thanking me of their wonderful memories. Because you had probably what was arguably the most iconic scene in probably the whole entire series, not including Danny's epic line in the theme song? Actually, I don't know if I'm the most iconic, but um, I've had people to come up to me and want my autograph just out of the blue. They would be like at a grocery store or even at a blood bank where I volunteer at it sometimes. But I would think that the awful, awful scene was at least one of the top three most iconic scenes in the show. I mean, everybody who remembers the show remembers that scene and that term. Yes, they do. Um, because um, I get all the time people ask me, aren't you the awful, awful kid? And I say, yes, I am. You also overdosed on popsicles. You got like a sugar hangover. Oh, yeah, I sure did. I had to eat over 200 of them. <laughs> yeah, or as they called them at Camp Onawana, ice lollies. <laughs> yep, ice lollies. The, I had to eat the red one. That's why my mouth was so red <laughs> from eating so many ice lollies. And you also glued your hand to your head in another episode? <laughs> yep, that would be Onawana Incorporated. No, oh. Counselor Bunny, excuse me. Yeah, Incorporated was the one with the ice lollies. Yeah, but but Counselor Bunnick is where I accidentally typically my hand to my forehead. Ow, that sounds super painful. Actually, that was pretty much ad-lib because I was standing around with crazy glue at the time at the taping. And so I had actually done a face palm, and I got, and that's how it happened. And they decided to keep it in there at the very last of the show. Oh, nice. So see some of the best scenes in TV and movies happen by accident. I've heard of that happening where they'll have, um, or really, they'll have something that wasn't in the script that was a by accident, like, deleted scene, but it works so well that they decide to keep it. Yeah, it's also known as ad-libbing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like, in the first Scream movie, there was a scene like that. Remember at in the first Scream movie towards the end when... When Billy like throws the phone and it hits Stu in the face and he's like, "Hit me with the phone, you dick!" Uh, that, wow, that was like improv. Yeah, well, apparently that was a mistake. Um, because apparently there was so much slippery paint on the floor that he really did accidentally hit him 
with the phone, and that really was his response. That wasn't part of the script. How but, did you find that out? Oh, I read on the trivia when uh, about that movie, but Wes Craven thought it fit in so well that he kept it. Oh, awesome. Well, that's what he... Yeah, Henry. That's what Henry did? Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. So, Henry... Happy accident. <laughs> yeah, I know. I need you on my comedy set more often. I need some accidental, accidental ad lib material. <laughs> yeah, that hurt too much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I wish some of the other stuff that went on behind the scenes could gotten have put in there, but we did not want to take that risk. <laughs> So, Henry, um, growing up, were there any um, Nickelodeon shows that you were a big fan of and used to watch a lot? Well, yes, and that's an excellent question. I've never been at that one before. <laughs> the, ones that I, the ones that I really liked would be Welcome Freshman. You can't do that on television. That was and Clarissa brings it all. But yeah, you can't do it on television was epic. I mean, for the mere fact that that show really lived up to its name, I, I still, even though it was the 80s, I still can't believe they were able to get away with all the shit they did on that show. <laughs> that, oh, my- God, yeah. Especially with so much water and slime. Well, not even that, but it was literally probably like the darkest, most un-PC kids comedy ever made. I mean, by today's standards, that shows like in no way, shape, or form a kids show. <laughs> About 90% of the skits involve child abuse of some sort. <laughs> yeah, especially the firing squad. Oh, yeah, that was a dark one. And the one about the nasty restaurant where the chef's name was Barth and every every customer kept getting food poisoning, that was a dark one. Oh, God, yes. I remember that very well. <laughs> but, yeah, it was funny. When I was, like, six years old and... I didn't know what the guy's name Barth meant, and my brother told me to tell my mom her cooking tastes like Barth, not knowing what it meant. And so I told her that, relating it to the chef on You Can't Do That on Television. <laughs> and what did she have to say to that? She actually yelled at my brother because she knew he was the one who told me to tell her that. <laughs> So this is a show that was in the 80s? Uh, yeah, it was throughout the 80s. It's a show that started the green slime. Oh, wow. So I don't really know because I grew up in the 90s, but all during the 80s, Nickelodeon had cartoons during that time? I'm, well, I don't know. cartoons, but also live action shows. What was, yeah. like, what was like the very first? Pinwheel, I think, wasn't it? Pretty much. I mean, that was the most popular one of the bunch. And then they had some syndicated cartoons like Count Ducula, Maya the Bee, Lost Cities of Gold. Um, you Can't Do That on Television was pretty much their big live action property. Yeah. And when when they hit like the early 90s, like around 1991, when Salute Shorts was coming around, um, they really got into more original content with animation, starting with Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, and Ren and Stimpy, out of those three-mentioned cartoons, I think has aged the best, too. Like, um, Rugrats, I always acknowledge it as being a great kid show, but 
it doesn't have the same enjoyment factor as an adult, like um, Ren and Stimpy or Salute Your Shorts, or Are You Afraid of the Dark still do? Right, yeah. And sometimes when a show goes on too long, after a certain amount of seasons, you can start to feel it either getting a little bit stale with its material or changing things up too much that the original fans don't relate to it too much. And I know from a, a personal perspective, uh, I jumped the shark when uh, Dill and Kimmy came around because then it just seemed to shake up, you know, the dynamic of the babies that I've grown to love over the first couple of years of the show. Yeah, exactly. And also with Rugrats minus a few inappropriate innuendos here and there, um, it didn't tackle as many heavy adult themes like some of the others did. Like, hey, Arnold tackled some pretty heavy themes. Right. Yeah, I definitely feel it was geared for a younger audience, but also appealing to parents who might have children, too. Like, I know one of the most memorable things to quote Rugrats is Stu making chocolate pudding at four in the morning. Angelica oh, yeah. has a broken leg. I am surprised, though, in one episode they actually got away with um, making a reference to the infamous rape scene from Deliverance, where um, they were in, like, the pen and... I mean, Angelica met her bigger cousin, I think Emmett was the guy's name, and he says, like, hey, cousin, want to wrestle? Bet I can make uh, you squeal like a piggy. Oh, my yeah. God. I remember that because I used to quote that episode a lot. Not that specific quote, but, like, other things that, like, Angelica would say. And it just flew over my head back then. I had no idea. Yeah, as soon as I heard that I line from Deliverance, I was like, Wait, that's what the Rugrats was referencing? <laughs> yep. okay. There's also a sexual window, and when they were watching the movie, and the grandfather said, oh, I've got my own movie to watch at the Ichigo of yeah. I remember that. Like, when he had his... Um, there's, there's an episode where he had a date uh, at night where, like, he was watching the kids, and he made mention of that with like space alien ladies, and again, because our minds didn't pick up that as a kid, it's it's really eye opening how you pick up on those things when you get older. And I know Rocco's modern life is notorious for kind of hiding those little Easter eggs in the episode as well. Oh yeah, and Rocco too. That was a show they would never nowadays allow on Nickelodeon because that was like Ren and Stimpy, another real like really gross out show. Right. Yeah. Ren and Stimpy had love. Yeah. Well, Ren and Stimpy had a lot of special It had an effect on the older crowd for like the older kids, I think. Not so much the younger ones. I think I saw an episode of that a couple months ago, and, and it can actually appeal to adults as well. Definitely. Yeah. And we were talking about Danny Cooksey. He actually was in a few episodes of that. He was in like three episodes. He was Victor, the school bully. Yeah, I remember that. Man, Danny was everywhere yeah. in Nickelodeon. Yeah. He was. Oh, my God. He was I mean, even in Are You Afraid of the Dark? He was yep. in that? Well, only yeah, one episode. Yeah. Oh, my season God. Three. Oh, my God. You guys have such good memory. Yeah, yeah. it's what we live for. <laughs> yeah. 
Dan's pretty much the short sex expert, and I'm pretty much the Are You Afraid of the Dark expert. So, oh yeah, combination. Yes, I remember Are You Afraid of the Dark, and I. What was that show that I told you that I watched younger and you didn't think it was on Nickelodeon? Remember when the girl had that mask on? Yeah, that, that was Goosebumps. Yeah, that was Goosebumps. Yeah. For oh, some... that's the tale of the haunted mask. Yes, yeah, that, oh my God. When, I think the girl's name was really Sarah. I don't remember, but it's... Carly Beth, Yeah, I there think. you go. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> I actually like the books. It's, it's, but that's, that scared me for so many years. Like for oh. Halloween, anytime my mom said, do you want to wear a mask? I'm like, oh my God, no. I thought it was yeah. Yes, it scared me for a good four years, but finally I got over it. But I actually rewatched that episode maybe like a year ago, and it was actually amazing. It was really good. So I asked Dan, I said, was that on Nickelodeon? And he said, no. And I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. So Goosebumps actually did air on Nickelodeon. Mm, no, it aired on Fox, I think. Yeah, it was predominantly on Fox. Um, they might have had a Halloween special where they bought the rights to air briefly, but yeah. uh, I don't know any specific records of it. And with Goosebumps, I love the books, but I wasn't that big a fan of the series. I thought as a show, Are You Afraid of the Dark was a lot scarier. It had a more mature edge to it, that's for sure. And um, I, I've dealt with a lot of people in both the Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark fan bases, and you can kind of get a different feel for each one. Like, Goosebumps tends to be more on the, the campy side with a lot of disjointed humor and weird gross-out moments, and Art for the Dark is more like a, a serious, um, you know, type of scare that can be grounded in reality but also have a super natural element to it. So it's, it's kind of like younger versus older or what type of um, horror appeals to you as a viewer. Yeah, Are You Afraid of the Dark was much more like the Twilight Zone for Nickelodeon. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it inspired DJ McHale. Uh, he mentioned that in several online uh, podcast interviews that that was one of his big influences growing up. Yeah, in fact, in fact, the intro line was, was actually pretty much the exact same in both shows and Twilight Zone before each story. He also said, like, submitted for your approval. Correct. Yeah, that was a direct nod to the show. Speaking of which, uh, Brett here actually does drawings of all those shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark, Salute Your Shorts, Pete and Pete. Yep. Oh, I saw your drawings. They're amazing. Oh, thank you very much. I put a lot of uh, effort into making them detailed, yet also have uh, an approachable, like, cartoony style to them. Amazing. Um, Absolutely amazing. Uh, what Dan, what is your favorite one? The one from Are You Afraid of the Dark, where the guy turns around his head and says, I am dead? Oh, yeah, she's talking <laughs> about Flynn, the phantom cabbie. Oh, yeah. I sort of died. Yeah, to me, that was one of the, the absolute scariest scenes. The look on his face and his delivery was perfect at more. Yeah. And There's, that, like, just pure craziness, like, mania in his eyes. And I remember seeing that for the first time when it aired on Smith. I must have been, like, four or five at the time. Oh, and I just remembered, wow, that is traumatizing me, like, as my dad is sitting next to me in a dark living room. But at the <laughs> same time after it's over, I loved it. So, you know, sometimes scary things can be a good thing when it resonates with you long after it happens. Exactly. True. And, um... 
so many people seem to hate on that episode for some reason. They yeah. S- all because yeah, all because the little kid was a bad actor, but still. <laughs> Aside from him, I thought Aaron Tagar, Vink, and Brian Dooley, um, Flynn Morden made up yep. for that kid's acting. Definitely oh, can't, yeah, can't say they were bad actors. Oh, totally. <laughs> uh, if we're doing ratings, it'll I give it like a solid four out of five because you know the Midnight Society segment is very iconic, um, introducing Frank to the group for the first time. And um, I felt the Vink and Flynn moments were done pretty well. And aside from a few special effects and a few, like, odd musical cues, it really wasn't as bad as an episode as people make it out to be. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also easy to make fun of it or poke at it because uh, the following episode is one of the most iconic episodes of all time. You know, yep, Zebo laughing, laughing in, in the, the dark. dark. So sometimes it often gets pitched in Zebo's shadow as a result. And funny enough, um, a lot of the fan favorites I see on, like, the website are ones that I thought were very overrated, like the Frozen Ghost. Everyone sa- says how scary that was. I didn't think that one was scary. Yeah, same here. It's It, it really comes down to how people process horror when they're a kid, because for something some instances things seem super scary, like especially if they got a gruesome monster, but other times it may not seem as scary, but it's more like tragic circumstance, like in the tale of the shiny red bicycle where, you know, a ghost died because he fell into a, a canal at, at the wrong time. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, looping back to frozen ghost, I, I, I share your sentiments with you too. Um, I could, I suppose some people like could find it scary that, you know, oh, this kid froze to death, how sad. Or like this bank robber guy who worked on the farm where this kid was at, uh, you know, stole his jacket, which I think it's more tragic and relates to unfinished business than to like a tactical scare. Um, so I'm not sure if nostalgia is really coloring most people's memory of it or not. And the, certainly, certainly the iconic I'm cold quote. And, and that ghost literally was harmless too. He literally didn't even do anything. He just kept uttering that line. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a fun little quick story behind that. Uh, basically, you know, in the first couple of seasons, there wasn't much of a budget to work with. So uh, I remember DJ mentioning to me during production that you know you just need the the actor to say the line and you know keep it simple because you don't have enough money to pay him for extra dialogue. <laughs> exactly. And one thing as a kid I noticed is that. The shot in shiny red bicycle of Ricky outside the window looks a lot like the shot of the frozen ghost where he first sees him out the window. Yeah, it's it's very similar, and maybe that they were trying something out uh, in season two because they're both season two episodes. Uh, where you know, hey, if something works in a previous episode, we get good ratings. Why not try it again to see if it you know works well? And I would argue that shiny red bicycle. It has stood the test of time better than Frozen Ghost because the story still remains grounded in reality and, you know, the tragedy makes it kind of relatable but also worth revisiting because it can happen to someone in real life. It's not just, you know, a kid showing up saying, I, I'm cold repeatedly. Oh, yeah, and that one, it, to me, it wasn't as so much scary as it was just a very, like, sad but very engaging story. It was a really touching yeah. episode. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably why 
I, I would favor at least um, more than the other one. You know, quality over quantity, or I guess cult following versus popular. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people, another one they say a lot is the doll maker, which is another one I thought was all right, but definitely not as scary as so many of the others. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely a risker too. Um, maybe, maybe it's because you know we're boys and we didn't grow up with dollhouses as kids. Although yeah. I did have a sister who was into dollhouses, um, but I, I think the problem therein lies is the misleading title for a lot of viewers. You know it not being as scary as other viewers remember it. And that's because it dealt with like odd expectations. Like when I when I was watching the episode first growing up, I thought, okay, so we're gonna meet some like evil tinker who has like a personality similar to Mr. Olsen and Pitball Wizard. That was a freaky one. That was that was a pretty intense one. I'll tell you that. That's much. where the but, kid uh, ends up in the pinball machine. Oh and yeah, he can't get out. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, the ending of that episode was the icing on the cake for me. Such a com incredibly dark ending. Um, because he still couldn't get out. Well, yeah, and yeah. he was literally going to die inside the pinball machine, most likely by one of the bad guys he had to face the first time. He was eventually going to die in it. And like you said when you, you were talking earlier, is like those episodes that stand the test of time are episodes that you can feel like it can happen to anybody. Like you could be that type of person that gets stuck in the pinball machine. So yeah, yeah, yeah those the are the ones that it could happen to you is yeah. really what makes it resonate all these years later. Rather yes. than just being, you know, more removed with fantastical kind of disjointed um, scares. Yeah. I think the scariest best ones were to either the ones like that that had tragic endings or the ones that had completely unexpected twists at the end, like laughing in the dark when we found out at the very end who the real Zebo was. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice surprise. Actually, uh, I don't know if people caught a glimpse because I know like the ghost of the real Zebo was only for like in a two second shot in the episode. But Aaron Tager actually played him as well. Oh, yeah. To the Carney. So that was a nice nod to the whole character arc of maybe Zebo lives on in the Carney, you know, luring people into the spook house to terrorize them. Exactly. As soon as they revealed that that was Zebo and that he was the one who who was after the kid um, and who haunted the place, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Henry. Henry, you said you were interested in the future when Brett's hand heals about having him draw, like, the awful waffle scene or something? Yes, that would be great for me. Yeah, I'd be up for doing it. Um, as of right now, though, I'm, I'm undergoing a, a bit of a hiatus from social media and doing art just because I've overworked my drawing muscles in my left arm. Um, but when I return mid-April, it's de definitely going to be on my project list. Um, for, for most people who are aware and follow me on Instagram, at Brett Wilson Art, by, by the way, um, I, my main goal for the past year is to essentially draw every episode of Are You Afraid of Dark, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, and Salute Your Shorts. And while I had to take a break from doing season three of Pete and Pete, um, you know, due to this hiatus and personal injury stuff, I have full intention to do every episode of Slim Shorts for like around late May, maybe early June to kind of line up with, you know, kids 
enjoying summer and going to summer camp and stuff like that so that, you know, I can connect with people that way. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, Henry, out of the, your three most iconic scenes, which one do you think you'd most like to see turned into a animated drawing? And that would be either the... I would like to see, like, either the off-waffle thing or where I had to, like, ice lollies all over my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his mouth was covered in cherry popsicle. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have no problem doing this for you guys. I mean, I, I love drawing these shows because they bring so much joy, you know, through the memories that we all share. So um, once I'm able to be fully functional again, I'd love to help you out in addition to get those posters done. All right, I do need contact information. Yep, I think uh, Dan will be able to give it to you after the episode. Absolutely. Um, and Henry, it says that you were born in Miami, which is around where Lindsay and I live. Um, did you primarily grow up down here in South Florida? I only spent two years there after I was hacked. And I've never really been back as an adult, and plus, I will not remember anything about it because I only spent two years there from 1978 to 1980. Oh, wow. And where did you spend most of your childhood? Uh, I spent some of it in Los Angeles, California, and then also in Boys Town, Nebraska. How different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How different. Out. Oh my goodness. You went from Hollywood to cornfields. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what Father Flanagan's boys home was, was like a cornfield when they first bought the place. Yeah. And um I heard that um unlike most of the shows that were filmed in Orlando, it was rare for a Nick show to be filmed in LA, but Salute Your Shorts was filmed there, right? Yeah, it was found in Los Angeles at Franklin Park Camp, as well as Griffin Park Boys Camp. But yeah, and I heard that um, Steve Slayton, the creator, was the voice of Dr. Khan. Yes, that is correct. This is Dr. Khan. This is Dr. Khan. Everyone doing instructional swim. Especially you, Dan Alexander. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's great that he was able to be involved with the show in that minor role because I feel like it was really the glue that held different segments together whenever we changed locations in the episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Henry, what are some of your other hobbies besides acting? Well, I've, I've never been at that either. But I like reading, writing poetry, computers, and I do a lot of website design, card games, board games, horseback riding, and I love volunteering because I right now I've been volunteering at a brain injury clubhouse for people that got brain injury, whether they be traumatic brain injury or acquired brain injury, and that place is called Brooks Clubhouse here in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, I love the horseback riding part. Yeah. I love yeah. horses, and I've been riding my whole life. It's very, very nice. But are we running out of time? Um, yeah, I was just going to. Oh, okay. Oh, 